0: we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, your Senior Pastor Dan Willis. So let's begin today then with our Uh, a sermon in Elijah, uh, Living Outside Your Comfort Zone, Sermon with Courage. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Kings uh, chapter 16. And then uh, hold that spot and move over to chapter 17. We're going to look at two passages in here, and I want to show you what really transpires uh, in this message. And you'll find here, as we look at 1 Kings chapter 16, we find in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel for 22 years. And Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Did you hear that? This king did more evil. In the sight of God than any king before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel daughter of Ethbaal king of the Sidonians and began to serve Baal and worship him. In other words if you thought the king before me was bad you ain't seen nothing yet because I'm thinking he was nothing. And let me show you what I can do. But he did it in the evil sense. And then he married Jezebel. And, of course, you know who that is. And if you don't, you're going to find out. And so what did he do? Well, in 32, we find out he sets up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal. And he built in Samaria. And he began to make an Asherah pole. And he did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. And then we scroll over to... uh, the next chapter 17 verses 1 to 6 and we we come into Elijah and the reason I tell you about Ahab is because I need you to understand that what Elijah is going to do here boggles the mind this guy Ahab was horrific the worst king ever the most evil and Ahab is obviously the opposite of that or I'm sorry, Elijah is the opposite of that. He's a prophet of God. And good and evil cannot coexist. Right? They can't coexist. Do God and Satan get along? Church, do God and Satan get along? No. And you can clearly see that one is controlled by God and the other is controlled by the enemy, isn't he? And here they are. One's a king and one's a prophet of God and they're going to get together. And you you needed to know why this is significant by seeing how evil this king is. And so now we pick up in verse 17, or or verse 1 of chapter 17. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, get this. Here's this nasty, evil king who is basically shaking his fist at God and saying, huh, I don't care who you are. I know who I am. And if you think that guy was bad, and the one before him was bad, I'm going to put them all to shame. I'm as bad as it gets. It brings new meaning to bad to the bone. And everybody sing it. Blah, 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 bad. Right? George Thurgood and the Destroyers, yeah? This guy was bad to the bone. And probably a little deeper than that even. And here he is, sitting up there high and mighty in his kingdom, not realizing that God's letting him be there in the first place. And he's throwing evility in God's face. And here comes this upstart of God. Walks into the king's palace, walks into his throne room, stands right in front of him and says, King, here's the deal. You might be bad to the bone, but clearly I have more stock and faith in my God than I do in you. And so here's what's going to happen. It's not going to rain, and there's not going to be any dew. There's going to be no moisture unless I say so. <laughs> what would you think about that, King? That took guts. Did it? This guy could kill you like that. Just because he doesn't like the way you look. Walks in and says that to him. And then we pick up, and here's what happens. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord told him. He went to the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, friends, I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. Okay. You had the guts to walk into that throne room and tell the king that, and no man has the ability to know if there's going to be dew or rain or not. No man can say if there's going to be dew or rain or not, and not one man I've ever known other than Jesus Christ himself. And clearly up to Elijah's time, Jesus wasn't here. So could say, by my word, will there be dew or rain? Now, one of two things has happened here. Either God has told Elijah that I'll tell you when there's going to be dew or rain, and you can tell him, and that's what he's trying to say. Or he's given Elijah the authority to call upon it when when he's ready for it. Either way, God's in there, isn't he? Stunningly, God is there. And he had the audacity to tell the kingdom and walked out with his life. I got to believe that God protected him out the way out the door. And now God says, okay, so now go over here and hang out in this particular place. And if God had told me that, even today I'd be thinking, okay, God, uh, wait, wait a minute. Go where? Do what? I'd be saying, God, what am I going to do there? You know, there's no shelter there, right? It's just a brook. I mean, I don't have my weapons to hunt or anything like that or any way to make food. And you're going to have the birds feed me, really, God? Well, God, why, why can't I go over here? Why can't I go to this hotel over here? Or why can't I go over here and do this? Why, why can't I go to a relative's house? Why can't I go? I can hide there. Elijah doesn't ask him those questions. The Bible says he immediately goes. And the ravens do exactly what God says they will do. I've never been fed by a raven. I don't know if I could even handle that, to be honest with you. I mean, even if God told me he was going to feed me with the ravens, I have to be honest with you and tell you, I might say, You sure, God? Are are we together here? And yet, that's exactly what happened. And people say, well, you know, that's probably not what really happened. The Bible, you know, just, you know, it's paraphrased, so it kind of, well, no, it's not. That's what happened. And just because you and I wouldn't see that today or haven't seen it today doesn't mean God can't or wouldn't do that. Let me ask you a question. Could God ask the ravens to feed you and I today? Would they do it if he said it? The question is, would we accept it? Isn't it? Isn't that really the question we're all asking here? And so I began to think about that, and I thought, you know, we got to talk about this because that's living outside your comfort zone, isn't it? That would really really do it, and and he's serving with courage here. And so a couple of thoughts. I had to bring some things to fruition to you. First of all, in this series based on Elijah, we're going to learn about faith. That's important. But we're also going to learn how different leaders have faith in different things. Because we're people, you know. And sadly, we also see how some only had faith in themselves. And yet, we all know that God wants us to have faith in Him and Him alone. Amen? And I think most of us believe that we know what faith in God is. And, and And I sort of believe, no, I'm more than that. I believe that we also think that we know how to practice it and that we're actually practicing our faith. The only question to me is, and I think it's an important one, what does God think? You know, you you can think whatever you want about your faith, but the question is, what does God think about your faith? Isn't Isn't that the question we all ought to take a look at today? So to be sure, the next question is, well, what does faith in God actually look like then? I mean, if you really think you're practicing your faith and you have it, you ought to kind of know what it looks like so you can evaluate yourself against it. Because let's face it, some days I think my faith is up there. Yeah? And some days, well, let's, let's, let's be honest, it, it could be better. Has anybody felt that? Like your faith could be better? Now, David had this to say in Psalm 20, verse 6 and 7. Now, this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Friends, in our scripture, we see that before Elijah could even be introduced, we find that The king of Israel was worse than all the kings before him. They were progressively worse, one after the other. They just kept getting worse and worse. And and isn't that exactly in the last couple decades what society has done? This generation is worse than the last? Aren't we starting to see the evility begin to overtake and advance? Well, you'd have to be living, you know, on a deserted island not to know that. It's, it's happening before our eyes. And that's exactly what happened in Elijah's day. And here's Elijah, anointed as a man of God in a world that was more evil than any before. It was led by leaders much worse than the one before. Now, maybe you feel like we live in that same type of situation. I personally think we're getting there, but I'm sure we're going to have to endure even more yet. I, I really think we're not, we're not there yet, but we're, we're moving there. But we've, we haven't seen how bad it's going to get. If I believe the Word of God, and I do, that's, that's going to happen. So I guess what I'm saying, and the worst is yet to come. And still, here we are living in this time, and God expects us to serve Him with courage because He has anointed all of us with His Spirit. Did you know that? And I'm here today to to, to inform you and and, and coax you into this idea that maybe you didn't get, that we're not like Elijah. Elijah. Elijah and his people, you know, were different. He was anointed by God, yes, but the people around him were not. Not like that. You and I, though, because of Jesus Christ and the power of the gift of the Holy Spirit, we're all anointed. Does God anoint us, according to Paul, with different gifts? Yes, He does. Some are called to be pastors, some are not. Some are called to be lay workers, some are not. Some are called to music, some are called to the gift of helps, some are for prophecy, some are for all these different things, and we're all necessary. But the gift of the Spirit is why we're anointed for all of those things. And you've all got it, or you're not saved. Did you understand that? You're anointed by God, or you are not saved. It's that simple. So we're anointed. And God expects us to act accordingly, doesn't He? But unfortunately in the church today, I see, and I'm sure you see, that many of us trust in everything but God. Now let me spell that out for you a little bit. I think it's easy, but we don't always want to hear it, you know. Are you saying in the church? Yeah, I am. Because I've seen Christians rely on things that weren't God at all. I've seen Christians put emphasis on things that had nothing to do with God whatsoever. And I've seen the things outside of God take precedence over God in the lives of Christians before. And I'd be silly to think that I've never done it. Now, I'm not here to tell us how bad we all are. I'm showing us what God's saying we ought to be. And so I began to think about that, and I thought, you know, whenever we put our politics above God, that's a problem. We put our wallet and our pocketbooks above God, that's a problem. What I mean by that, when you are so worried about your finances that you'll vote for a candidate that's clearly unchristian, Well, friends, what are we doing here? But I'm going to go to church and praise God. And I think God's going, you you praise me with your lips, but not with your life. And I think somewhere in the Bible it states that. Your lips are here, but your life is far from me. See, your spirituality has to be over everything, including your politics and your pocketbook. Your morality? It's over all of that. God is above what? All things. And God ought to influence your thought process in what? All things. Your beliefs, your practices, your Christian responsibility. And here's Elijah without the gift of the Holy Spirit doing exactly that. Why? Because he knew it was the right thing to do. Now, does that mean the Holy Spirit wasn't in it? No, because I believe the Holy Spirit can indwell and infill whenever. But it was never given to live in us until. Was he filled with the Spirit? Yep. I'm sure he was. But friends, we have the living of the Spirit within us. And that's the difference. And if we aren't trusting in God for all of those things, then who are we trusting in? What are we trusting in? Because it certainly isn't God. Now, we can develop a godly faith in this life, in this world. Yes, I know that. I know we can. And we can develop a deeper faith in God Himself so that God can change us from the inside out and we can begin to give God dominion over all of these things. It may cause you to change your political party affiliation. It may change you from the people you hang out with. It may change you from the things you participate in. And it may change you from the things that you find humorous And they no longer have humor or luster at all. Because God will change you into the person He needs you to be. And I never look at a person who changes these things and say, well, it's for a time. I may think it in my spirit, but when God makes the changes, it's permanent. That doesn't mean people don't revert back and forth here and there. I know we do. And sometimes God allows us to do that for a little bit until we... Get to come to our senses, and then we say, that's enough. And don't tell me you didn't go along the line and do this once in a while. Okay? Don't condemn people to do that. Encourage them to come to God's side and stay there. Because isn't that what the Lord's trying to do? And I want you to understand the origins of what Elijah was up against, because He made sacrifices, and we're going to have to make sacrifices too. If you're going to live in this world and have a godly life, you will make sacrifices. So, let's take a look at Ahab. If anybody was ever set up to fail, it was him. He was raised in this incredibly self-centered environment. Okay. And in this passage, we find that Ahab has taken over rulership from his father. And like most people, when you raise children in a privileged household, especially without God, which clearly that's how he was raised, you will more likely develop what I call a brat. You will develop a child that feels entitled. And you know what, friends? We'd be silly to think we're not raising kids like that today. And like some youth that we have today, they feel everything that they desire, they deserve by any means necessary. At the Sheriff's Chaplaincy Conference, uh, we teach a lot of different courses and a lot of different things. And one of the things we have to do is go back and start showing the shift in society from what was and what it's becoming. And how it goes back and forth and how the morality seems to go one direction and self-centeredness is coming to the center. And this is what we're finding. We had someone come in a couple of years ago and talk to us about uh, societal changes and and it was in a mental health class. They were talking to us about how um, teenagers um, are changing and how they're having to deal with behavioral problems in teenagers today. And it has shifted, and it's almost, it's, it's a, it's a never-ending thing. They, they never know what they're going to get. It's, it's changing so rapidly. You can get educated to treat them now, and in a year, it's going to be something else. It's just, it's just going that way. And it's not hard for us to see that. If you're an educator, and you guys are, I'm sure you've seen it, and anybody who deals with kids has seen it. Uh, and to tell you the truth, it's not just teenagers anymore. It's going into our college students, and it's going beyond that, and even into people beyond college. Uh, uh, we had someone talk to us about college students, and they said that uh, high school stu- middle school students, high school students, um, and college students now, today, are the most entitled society we've ever had. Um, when they get on dating sites, they're saying, I need somebody to do these things and give me what I deserve. That's the most prominent message that they're putting on there. Give me what I deserve. And Friends, when, when, we, when we are built to believe we deserve something, we're going to be self-entitled. <laughs> we're going to be self-centered. We're going to be self-important. And that's the household that Ahab grew up in. And that's the household we're having a lot of children grow up in today. That's why Rick Warren says in the first line of the purpose-driven life, it's not about you. And that is foreign to people because to them it is about them. And friends, here's my question to you. If it's about you, How could it ever be about him? If it's about you, how will it ever be about him? Here's the other thing. Your children, if you allow them to think it's about them, three things you've got to understand here. One, you will struggle to to teach them it's about him if it's about them. Secondly, I've said it again and again, and I'll tell you again today, life is not fair, and they won't function well in it. Secondly, society does not care. Even if they say they do, they don't. You know what we want to do when people are misfunctioning like that? Throw medication at them. That's how we treat it. You know, we, we've known for centuries how to treat it. Right here. That's how you treat it. You know how I know? Because it treated me. And I'll bet you it's treated you. Drugs can only do so much. Science and medicine can only do so much. We know a lot, but we don't know what he knows. You can't equate human life to a motor vehicle, but I'm going to do that today. I've had some things go wrong with vehicles that I've had, and I've gone to... General repair shops. They couldn't figure it out. So when they couldn't, you know what I did? I went to the dealer or the manufacturer who made it. And they had figured it out. Why are we going in our Christian life to anything other than the Creator who made us? Why? Because Satan says you should. And he's drawing you to do that. Friends, this isn't anything new. He did it with Ahab, and he was the worst king Israel had ever had. He was the most evil king they'd ever seen. And furthermore, he wanted to be one. And as I began to think about that, I realized that Ahab grew up seeing and hearing about deceit and selfishness and self-centeredness. And so there's no wonder he became who he was. Remember, people imitate what they see and what they value. Now, I know your parents made mistakes. Like a news story, you're going to make them too. Some will be the same ones that you vowed not to make. Anybody figured that out yet? And I know we all said... There are things I love about my parents, there are things I didn't like about my parents, and I'm gonna be not either, you know, I'm gonna be this parent. And Lord help you, as hard as you try, you're gonna fail. You're gonna screw up, you're gonna do wrong things, you're not gonna do some of the right things. And sometimes you're gonna know when you're doing it. But there's some things you better get right. Because our world depends on it. It really does. And it's not what you think. Yes, you have a responsibility to teach your children how to do the right things, how to be morally correct, and how, you know, to not be self-centered. But friends, the most important thing you will ever teach your child is to put everything they have right here. That is your responsibility. And they're not going to do that if you don't. They're just not. They're going to become what you are. Even when they vow they won't. Ahab became what he was taught. As children in Christ, we can also develop bad habits because of what we grow up around. And with these bad habits... If they're not corrected and called out, we could continue to perpetuate this poor behavior. But God can bring any and everything to a halt or a change in our lives. And He's going to prove it to us. Ahab was set up to fail. More than that, secondly, he was connected to failure. When you look for evil, you're going to find it. Have you figured that out yet? If you look for evil, I assure you, you're going to find it. Because evil sure looking for you. It can't really overtake you unless you allow it. You'll not admit you've done it. Because secretly, I think, psychologically, what we'll do is we will actually act like we don't want anything to do with evil, but kind of hope we meet it. I can't prove that psychologically yet, but I see a lot of evidence of it. Because if we didn't, then why would we fly so close to the line if we didn't? You could say it's curiosity. You could say it's we're flirtatious. You could, you could claim anything you want. But the fact is, if I've got no business being there, why am I? You know? I, I, I believe sometimes we don't know it. Sometimes you don't know someone's bad for you. Sometimes you don't know uh, a situation is poor for you. Sometimes you don't know that you know, the group you're running with is bad. Sometimes you don't. I, I get that. But eventually, you, you, you sort of see, you know, a common denominator here. And if you're really pursuing God, He'll show you. And when He does, you have a choice now. What are you going to do? Are you going to say, well, you know, God, eh, it's not really that bad. Who among us would ever tell God that something's not really that bad when He's telling us to get away from it? I mean, have you even thought about that in your head? That's, is that stunning or what? And yet, that's exactly what we've done. And you know, we no, we're doing it sometimes. And then, and then God will send somebody to us that cares. And we'll think, oh, they're nuts. They're crazy. And then a couple more will come to us. You know, th- This biblical process, you know. A couple more will come to us, and we think they're all nuts. Or they don't know what they're talking about. But here's, here's the best one. It's a different time. You don't understand me. Right? We all told our parents that. It's a different time now. Yeah, but evil's the same. <laughs> Amen? Okay, so this, these are excuses we make, you know, when you want to do something that you know you shouldn't. And most people know when it, when it comes. But like I said, when you look for evil, you're going to find it. In Ecclesiastes 4, 9-12, God said through Solomon, two are better than one because they have good reward for their efforts. If either f- falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. And the idea here is when two are together and God's in the center, you've got three. Now, where did we get that from? Ecclesiastes, that's Solomon. He's talking about two people, but he adds three. Because <laughs> he knows. And friends, this is the point. I've told single people, including my children, over and over and over again, whatever you do in life, choose wisely. I heard in a movie once, a right woman can make you and the wrong one can break you. I'd venture to say it works both ways, doesn't it? And there's some truth to that, isn't there? There's a lot of truth to that. And as I began to think about that, I've thought, what kind of woman do you think Ahab looked for when he was ready to take a wife? Well, he certainly didn't look for one that would have been a saintly type, did he? He looked for one that would be as bad as him or worse. He looked for Jezebel, a name that is the epitome of evil throughout the scripture, including Revelation. Her name is placed on all things that are considered evil. In fact, Babylon the Great, which is Satan's society, is named Jezebel in Revelation. Friends, a woman from the Old Testament, if if he could have looked ahead in time and seen what God was going to write and and talk about the epitome of evil and think, that's my wife. (laughs) Now, think about that for a second. Wow! Wow! Guys, don't be looking at your spouses here. Okay? (laughs) I can't see who's doing it. I'm telling you, don't do it. But do you understand what we're talking about here? This is insane. If ever there was a woman who was evil, she's it. And will be for all time. They named evil after her. Okay? That's pretty bad, isn't it? You know, you may think, you know, your spouse is bad. But I'm telling you, not like this one. Not like this one. Bad. Bad. And I'm thinking to myself, you sought her? What kind of home did you really grow up in? What were you really exposed to? What did you really see in your house? What was life really like? And I'm thinking, as I look back at my childhood home, maybe it wasn't so bad. Because man... And now consider what must have been going through his mind and his heart as he searched. Well, Satan had to have been helping him. Guiding him. Opening doors for him. And Satan can do that when you reject God, you know. When you reject God and you let Satan do the leading, well, good night? Yeah, all sorts of things are possible then too. But you're not going to like the results. And if not now, eventually. <laughs> How many even here today know that? Because I've been down that road before. Anybody been down that road before? I've allowed Satan to lead things in my life before. I'm going to admit it. Sometimes I knew it, sometimes I didn't. But I'm going to tell you, I know who leads it now. That's the point. And it's night and day. And that's exactly why when I went to my 30-year high school reunion, they had never seen me since graduation. <laughs> and when I told them I was a minister, they laughed. Didn't believe me. I even had one guy take me aside and say, no, come on, man. What you, do you really do? You see, the, the change was so opposite. It was so different. And, and that, see, isn't that God, though? Doesn't, doesn't God take you from death to life? That's a radical change. Amen? For some of us, the change isn't maybe quite so much. Maybe some of us were closer to life than we were to death, maybe, you know. And some of us were all the way in. Okay? I've got that checkered past. I was all the way in, friends. I'm telling you right now. Okay? And God removed me from that and put me in the book of life. <laughs> That's what he did. I'll bet you there's people out here today and online and at Mecca who could say, God took me out of death and put me into life just like that. He did it. Yeah? That's the difference. And Ahab has no idea, I don't think, what he's really doing here. We have to choose our relationships wisely. I need you to to pay attention here. I need you to listen to this. Because this isn't just about your spouse. And you young, you young folks. Hey, girls. Girls, listen to me. Girls, I need you to listen to me. I'm not calling you out. I need you to listen to me. Every one of you is going to seek a boyfriend. Every one of you is going to seek a husband one day. Anybody else in here younger, not married? Okay, you guys. <laughs> Choose wisely. Because... Who you choose will define who you are. Whether you want it to or not, it will. Because when you're together, it's a strange phenomenon. We can't figure it out. None of us has figured it out. You start to act like the other. You start to even start to look like each other sometimes. Yeah? Who's noticed that? It's a weird thing. Nobody's ever going to figure it out. And I don't know know how to fix it all. But I'll tell you, choose wisely. Folks, am I right? Do we choose wisely? Yeah? Okay. Ahab didn't. He did not. And I'll tell you something else. It's not just spousal. Ahab should have looked for someone who would have brought temperance to him. Who would have shown him some restraint. Who would have given him other options to see, but he didn't. Now, I don't believe the union between Ahab and Jezebel is exactly what God had in mind. But so often, the people we connect with will either help us to be better or encourage us to be worse. Are you hearing what I'm saying here? The people we connect with will encourage us to be better or encourage us to be worse. They will. Just when one would think Ahab could not be any worse, he goes out and marries a woman who is even more deceitful and more cruel than he is. Sometimes, instead of connecting with people that make us comfortable, perhaps we should connect with people who challenge us to be and do better and friends that makes me believe that we have to be conscientious about the company we keep and i want you to think about this for a second i want you right now in your mind girls this is you and carter it's you too and because you guys are in school and it's for everybody zigzagging back and forth through here and all the way through here, it's every last one of you, you right now need to take a, a mental note, a visual note of all the friends that you have. There are one. And I want you to think about that when I show you a couple things here. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Friends, there's a children's movie out there called The Buttercream Gang. Uh, my kids had it. It was feature films for families. Uh, it was VHS. That's how long ago I saw it. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. Now, yeah. Yeah, VHS. I don't know if they've got it out again. It's an older style movie. But either way, uh, of course, uh, you know, how many of you, um, we have teenagers and young kids that you watch the animated stuff that they watch? Anybody do that? I, I, can, I can only take so much. Uh, what, what's the show that the kids all want to watch? What is it? I don't watch that. No. Uh, Blazing the Monster Machines. I can only take so much of that. Okay. But they all watch these animated things. And so uh, this, this feature films for families, they came out, and they had a buttercream gang, and so we watched it. And it's about this small-town group of boys who had, had a, a real friendly little gang, you know, and they, and they were wholesome. They had good families. They, they did good things for people. They were just a good bunch of boys. And one of them has to move with his aunt in Chicago. And the transition happens pretty quick. Before long, he's in, in trouble. He's in trouble with the law. Uh, he's, getting, he's gotten kicked out of school. He, they, they found something in his locker, and his aunt drags him in. She's had it up to here with him. And, and in fact, he even went back to hang out with his old friends for a little while, and they couldn't believe who he was they said what's the matter with you because he was this evil kid and so what does he do when he's back home he starts uh, corrupting other kids and it has this other little gang and it goes against the kids he grew up with and then eventually he goes back to Chicago and he gets in trouble again and his aunt says you know I've had it with you he said it wasn't my fault somebody from another gang set me up she goes that might be right maybe maybe that did happen maybe you're not at fault this time But what you did do is choose the wrong people to hang out with. And that's on you. So own it. Friends, you know when you're strong spiritually and you know when you're weak spiritually. You'll say you don't, but you do. You'll know when it's a daily thing, where you're strong today and you're weak tomorrow. And you'll know when you're pretty much always not so strong. And you could be a lot stronger, but you refuse to get there because you won't change things in your life. You know when it is. Don't tell me you don't know because God tells you when it is. And if he doesn't, you don't have him. It's real simple. Okay. So I'm just laying it out there. Now, people don't like to hear the truth sometimes, but I'm giving it to you. And this is this is where we're at here. You, you have a choice to make today. And when you're not very strong spiritually, you're going to choose the wrong people. And the wrong people are comfortable to you. But when you're strong spiritually, you know something's got to change and you're going to have to be not only strong spiritually and wise, you're going to have to be courageous. And this is what this is called. And courage shows you To kill the relationship with those that are encouraging you to do the wrong things or keeping you from from getting greater stronger higher and better in him you want to know why the the church is struggling today because we don't have the courage to turn off our poor relationships and when we try to do that this is what the world's going to say oh you're cultish well i got news for you i know what cults are and we're not one We don't keep anybody out. We don't stop people from coming into our midst. Cults do. We don't. And we don't refuse anybody to leave us either. Cults do that too. We don't. So we're not a cult. The fact is they just don't like it that we're going to lead a different lifestyle than they want. That's the problem. And I know what they're going through because I grew up in it. The only difference is, theirs is worse than mine. And you know what? The ones come, their children? I don't know what culture they're going to have. If we're even still here. But I'll tell you this, it's going to be worse than that one. And yet, God is the same. Have you ever noticed that evil is here, God is here, and society seems to be wherever it wants to be between the two? That's what happens. It always has been from the beginning of time. And so we're going to have to be intentional about being better for God instead of being better for our own selfishness, self-centeredness, self-entitlement, whatever you want to call it. It's all self. Thirdly, look at the transition. Elijah, though, he served God with courage. Now, I think a lot of people place their faith in earthly things. What do you think? The kings preceding and including Ahab trusted in their finances, their strengths, and sometimes even in their own cunning ways. But we find that the prophet Elijah placed his faith where? In God and God alone. And looking at him, how many of us could say that we have often exemplified This kind of bold faith. I have to tell you the truth. I look back at my life and I think most of the time I'm a pretty good Christian and I think most of the time I'm a fairly decent pastor. But I also know my shortcomings. and I don't know that I've ever exemplified the type of faith that this guy did. And I thought, just imagine walking into a room in which you're not welcome and standing up for what you believe in against those who not only disagree with you, but even dislike you. Even those who might want you dead. Because that's exactly what Jezebel wanted. She wanted him dead. And she was going to get it. Her husband was going to see to it that she got it. But yet, that's exactly what Elijah did. Walked in there into a place where he knew they wanted him dead. And said, you know what? It ain't going to rain until I say so. What <laughs> you think about that? Now, he didn't quite do it so smirkily as I just did. <laughs> but man, the faith that guy must have had to do that. And you know what else? We're going to have to stand on the premises of God because that's what he did. I remember watching television in the 1960s and watching Walter Cronkite report on incidents where civil rights leaders were going in and eating at whites-only lunch counters. Anybody remember that? That's how bad our society got. I remember they were going to voting polls when people tried to keep them out, when you're a person of color. I remember going to schools where blacks weren't welcomed. If you ever watched uh, the movie Forrest Gump, you'll see a depiction of that. Uh, that actually really happened in <laughs> the University of Alabama. And who remembers that? Yeah. And I remember the resolve of these people. They would, they would focus in on them and the resolve. And some people had different opinions. People say, well, they're just trying to get attention. And others said, no, they're trying to make a change, you know. I don't know what was in their hearts. But I understand why they did it. And maybe they were for different reasons, each to one, I don't know. But I thought how brave that had to be. And I remember thinking how lonely they must have felt to stand up for what was right when so many just wanted them to go away. Elijah defied the odds as well except Elijah did it all by himself well just him and God that's the difference between him and them Um, I mean those people usually did it in a a group of people or two or three he was by himself and all he had was God even people the civil rights movement had the Holy Spirit with them Elijah didn't unless God saw to it to fill him which I suspect he probably did But it wasn't an absolute, like we have today. You see, the resolve of us, what I'm saying to you is, our faith and our Christianity ought to be greater than Elijah's was. It ought to be. It should be. God expects it to be. And I began to think about that, and I thought, do I have the courage to stand in the right? Do you have the courage to stand in the right? I mean, when was the last time we were that bold and that confident? Being a believer in Christ is more than just words, friends. It's also actions. In the book of James, the brother of Jesus asks, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? And the answer is no. It's rhetorical. It's no. It can't. Friends, if you live life, really live it, you can only do so as a Christian. Because there's so much in the non-Christian life that you're going to miss and not get. You you, you do know that, right? Life isn't really lived until you belong to Christ. Really, it's not. Has anybody figured that out yet? You're really not living until you have it. And when you do, friends, don't hide your faith. I know your politics may lean toward your feelings. It happens a lot. I know your pocketbook is important. I get it. You know, I'm circling back here. I know that the Christian life and being completely obedient to God and standing against many of the social issues we face may make you stand out like a sheep in a goat herd. I know that. You know why? Because you well may be the sheep in the goat herd. Yeah? There may be way many more goats than there are sheep in your circle. That might be by design. God may have you there on purpose, but you're going to have to be an awful strong Christian to do that. And if you're not a strong Christian, you have no business calling yourself a sheep and hanging out with the goats, I'm telling you right now. You do know that, right? And if God didn't put you there, friends, get out. Do it now. Don't screw around, don't horse around, don't make excuses. Don't listen to the rhetoric they're going to throw at you. Get your eyes focused on here, let God draw you out, and get away from it. And you know what God will do? You won't be alone. God will bring you into a group of people in a life group, won't he, Mandy? Or in a church that cares. And you'll begin to feel. See, friends, you, you can't fellowship in the manner way that you need to by coming to church on a Sunday morning and that's it. You can't do it. I'm to the point that I'm going to stop telling you or t- turn the blind eye and you think you can. I'm going to tell you you can't. Because I know you can't. And if you don't know you can't, then somebody ought to tell you that you can't. And if you won't listen to the person that's telling you that you can't, then I'm going to bring a couple more people and we're all going to tell you that you can't. And then you're going to have to say, well, they're all nuts. When you know we're not. Because I'm going to tell you, you think I'm nuts? Okay. Show me where I'm nuts biblically. That's all I want you to do. Take the word of God out and show me where I'm nuts. Because I asked you to do more than come to church on Sunday morning, I ask you to be in a life group with people that care. You're gonna tell me I'm nuts for asking you to do that? I don't think so. Because you can't Biblically prove that, but I'll bet I can, I'll bet I can. You know why? Because God wants you in fellowship with people that care about you. He wants you in a cohesive unit to break bread together, to study the scripture together, to have fun together, to laugh and to share each other's burdens, pray together. And have fun together. That's what God wants you to do. Because that's the group of sheep he wants you to be when you're a sheep. Not with the goats that don't give a rip. Even if they say they do. I'm not picking on your friends. In fact, I think you ought to invite a goat or two to us. I'd love that. Bring them on in. Because here's what I have found. You bring goats into the sheep pen, a lot of times they turn out to be (laughs) sheep. If they stick it out, God will get a hold of their heart and He'll change them. They'll go from death to life like that. And isn't that what we want? So instead of going to the goat pen, why don't you go get a couple goats and bring them into the sheep pen? How about that? Can we do that? Listen, I I can't believe that analogy can't, you can't pick that up. Everybody in here can get that. And it doesn't matter if you're. 90 something, 100 years old, or if you're, what are you guys, 11, 12, 13, something like that? I'm sorry, I'm getting out of the camp. How old are you guys? Okay. You, you guys can draw people into the sheep pen. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> they don't know. Anyway, parents, grandparents, you can explain it to them. Guys, you can do this. You can do this. I know it's tough to change what you've always believed, too. I had a person tell me the other day, I've been a uh, part of this political affiliation all my life. I just can't do it anymore. Good for you. Listen, I'm not trying to be political here, don't hear me say that. But this individual found that the morality that he was attached to isn't biblical. He said, I, people are going to talk. I said, who cares that people talk? You don't, you, you, you don't need to worry about what people think. Right there is where you need to worry. Right there is where you need to worry. And when his daughters said to him, Dad, how, how, how do we justify this when it's this? He said, He's, I was speechless. I know what to say. It's hard to change what you've always done. I know that, but praise God I did because God did it in me. See, I I can't do it myself. I I know I will fail, right? Because here's what'll happen. I'll try to reap all the benefits of being a Christian and, and want heaven, I promise you, but then I'm gonna refuse to identify with the cross. That's what'll happen. I'll refuse to identify with the cross, and when I've done that, now I'll start separating my life, my political life, my social life, and my spiritual life. That's what I'll do, and people do it all the time. That's why the church is weak, because people aren't all in. We're in different categories at different times with different people in different situations, and you cannot. Because Jesus said, I will tell you away from me, I never knew you. Friends, if you aren't all in, you are an evildoer. And somebody out there is going to say, no, and God's going to say, yes. Not my words, His. Christ Himself said it. You don't tell Christ He's wrong. He said it. I know it's difficult to go against the majority. I get it. It's hard. But I assure you, in the last days, we will be against the majority. Who are you going to stand with then? If you can't stand now, you won't stand then. And like Elijah, we have to find that boldness and the courage to face those things that are not of God. If that means I've got to change my political party affiliation, my friendships, if it means I've got to change my my belief in in social issues, then so be it. So be it. And you know what, friends? You know how you're going to do it? Exactly how Elijah did it. Point four. And lastly, Elijah truly depended on God. And that's what you're going to have to do. Don't say you have faith. Show it. In the final scene of this message, we see Elijah depending on God. It's a truly, the, it's, it is truly one thing to say we have faith and sometimes actually have faith when our foundational needs are already in place. But... We see Elijah was without foundational needs because God took care of him. God sent him out into the wilderness with no food, no shelter, no water. And he obeyed, get this, without hesitation. He obeyed without hesitation. And right here, we see the differences in what Elijah trusted versus what Ahab trusted in. You can see these relationships throughout the Bible. I mean... You can. Cain and Abel. Jacob and Esau. Saul and David. Right? You see it. And I began to think on something for a minute. Sometimes, friends, you literally have to wait on God. And that's not easy. If you've ever waited on God, it's not easy. Is it? Nobody in here is going to say, oh, it's easy to wait on God. No, it's not. Because you want now, and God says, maybe not. And some of these things are very difficult. They're heart-wrenching. Elijah literally had to wait on God. I'm sure he saw his resources dwindling. And I'm sure in his spirit, he wondered how this was all going to work out. Because God doesn't tell him to fortify any positions or anything. He just says, go down there and hang out by the brook. What am I going to do there? And do what? How long? doesn't ask any of those things. I would have. He doesn't. He just goes and does it. See, I don't think it's going to matter what you're doing. I don't think it's going to matter that you don't have what you think you need. See, if you're going to have faith in God, you're going to trust Him. Well, then you're going to have faith in and trust Him. <laughs> or you're not. You can't sort of trust in God and sort of in yourself. We do, though. Yeah? See, we only trust in God when we can't trust in ourselves. You ever notice that? You see, Scripture doesn't show us that Elijah ever doubted God. I don't know if he did or he didn't. The scripture doesn't say he did. But I know many of us start to worry if we hear that our company is downsizing. We'll be the first ones asking for prayer, starting to look for a new job, start to cry and worry without first talking to God. I know that because I've watched Christians do it. We'll be we the first ones, friends, to say we trust in God, and yet the first ones to rely on self. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells us, Beseek seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added and provided for you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. And As I began to think about that, you know what I thought? God always has more than we see. (laughs) Have you proven that yourself yet? Elijah was already seeking God, but God still had more to show him. You see, I, I don't think God sent Elijah to the brook and fed him with ravens to hide him from Jezebel or to teach Ahab anything I think he took Elijah there so that he could have some one-on-one time with him to prepare him for the other stuff he's going to deal with that's what I think because if you read further you know what's coming because this, this is nothing compared to what he's going to have to do <laughs> yeah God needed to increase his faith and confidence in his Lord. Oftentimes, I think God is just growing our faith so that it can be strong in the battle. And in the end, we're going to see God's word stand tall. It always does. So my question is, how can we be more faithful to and trusting of God? as a worship team comes. I want you to understand something. Scotty, go ahead. We have to understand that if we have the greatest education, the best job, or if we come from a powerful family, none of that will ever compare to God. It might be an envious position for some people. But next to God, it's nothing. Ahab thought he was in control because he inherited what he thought was strength and power. He was self-confident, and he was overconfident. And I call that false confidence. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great, biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.